The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. The Staley's continue on today's episode of Bear With Me as we go through seven great categories from worst game all the way up to the face of the franchise award. It's all coming at you on this week's episode of Bear With Me. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. Now, as you know, we left off last week halfway through the awards show we're doing for the end of the season, The Staley's, where none other than EJ Snyder and Jeff Burkus have come on to help me dish out some end-of-season awards. And we just went through the first nine, and I can't wait to introduce you to the back seven. So without further ado, let's dive right back into the podcast and get things started. Well, let's move on then to our other negative category, Worst Game. And the random number generator says that EJ is the judge to be. I'll go ahead and start, Jeff. I think it's week 11 against the Rams. There were a really disappointing amount of candidates for this for this award in terms of <laughs> worst game. But week 11 against the Rams, a team that just really tried to lose. I mean, we're talking offsides on fourth down gave us a free first down. Uh, I believe there was an illegal shift that took a touchdown off the board. There were tons of plays throughout this game where Sean McVay's Rams tried to give it away. They really did their best, very similar to the Chargers game. And instead of a win, it felt like the entire team just sort of woke up sleepy. Trubisky actually played decently he played decently to his standard which still wasn't great but it was better than it had been and the rams ended up with or mitch i believe ended up kind of just getting washed out of the game an injury that didn't show up again the next week maybe he was benched we're really not sure that big emotional conversation on the sidelines that was the moment where i remember calling jb after the game for a post-game podcast just being sad because it felt like whatever dream we had in 2018 it was just dead in week 11 <laughs> at least that's how it felt to me what about you well we definitely read the eulogy after that game right like that was that was what we did on that podcast was we we said goodbye to the 2019 bears uh for right. me I, I i look i think you have to at least mention week one against green bay uh holding aaron Rodgers to 10 points and losing the game at home is an absolutely just embarrassing disaster for me the worst game was the saints game it was the one game where we just simply weren't in it and it's the one game that i turned off early 
I I ended up, you know, of course, going back and watching it after I had calmed down. But I was so embarrassed for watching my favorite team just get destroyed that I actually turned off the game and walked away because I was too angry because it did, didn't seem like either side of the ball wanted to play football that day. So for me, it was the Saints game. That was just just a total embarrassment. Yeah, this one's personal. It, <laughs> there were a lot of uh, a lot of chances. Uh, you know, Robert, you said that that this is a, what I would call a TRE, right? Target rich environment. There were plenty of choices here um, for worst game of the year. Um, JB mentioned it, but I'll go back to it. For me, it's week one. It's the Packers game. There's so much expectation. If you sort of rewind yourself mentally uh, to week one, so much expectation for this team. Uh, Green Bay's coming in. How's Pagano going to do with the defense? Man, I can't wait to unleash this offense on that cobbled together Packers, you know, free agency defense. That's not going to gel quickly. This is all going to go the Bears way, right? All the dominoes are going to fall and we are going to wipe Green Bay's plate for the first time in a while. And the defense comes out hammering. The defense comes out killing folks. And everybody's like, this is the aggression we expected to see from Pagano. This is Mack and Hicks doing their thing at full strength. Again, holding one of the best quarterbacks in the game, an eventual Hall of Fame quarterback, to 10 points. And only being able to put up three, completely abandoning the run. Um, So much so that I've never seen this occur, but... Throughout the season, it is reported over and over again, well through the middle of the season. Oh, Green Bay is averaging, you know, 130, 140 yards given up against the rush every week. And the Bears just stopped doing it in week one. They're just it just was so crushing from where everybody thought the Bears were to sort of leaving that game a little bit shell-shocked a little bit aghast a little bit what just happened what chance did we miss as a team um really unfortunately set the stage for the rest of the season that's really how the bears games went for the next 15 games we all hoped that it would be an aberration and they'd get it together and it's just first week jitters whatever else didn't turn out to be that way mitch looked scared The defense looked amazing and the offense looked completely inept and the Packers walked away with a gift that really powered their season. You could argue that that started their run and sort of ended the Bears run. So for me, it's week one, um, but I, you know, I can't again, highly personal category. I can't say that either of your choices are wrong. Um, If I'm the judge because the random number generator said so, I say week one because it set the tone and it never got better. Honestly, I'm willing to give out Coast Dailies to any worst game that anybody wants to say, because if somebody had said the Chargers game, I would have even heard that. That's a game yep. where easily the the Chargers just did everything they could to give that one away. Everything. Like if week 11 was bad, they were they took, I think, four huge penalties, dropped three touchdowns and generally just didn't look like they wanted to win, let alone you bring up the record of what is it? noon games against uh west coast teams away that it's just abysmal they uh, gosh a lot of bad games Uh, i don't i don't disrespect you picking the Packers game at all it's it's a tough one but anyways thankfully that is all the negative categories and we can now move on to the positive ones starting out with best performance by a role player this is where it gets really fun jb you're the judge ej kick it off 
Oh, I'm pandering to JB on this one. This is what I saved Patterson for. He's been hammering on Patterson <laughs> for about 10 of these categories, and we've only gone through eight. So, no, um, Patterson's my guy for this one. Uh, really did change. Uh, came in with a, a somewhat specifically defined role. Gonna be on special teams primarily. That's why he was signed. That was where he was expected to give all the juice. Offense was just kind of nice to have really changed a unit that um, at least JB and I had hammered pretty merc- mercilessly in the offseason as something that needed to be improved because it was terrible, and a lot of people didn't talk about it when it was terrible. Um, the kicking game was an obvious place where a lot of people talked about it, but the other three phases, not good, and very few people talked about that. Patterson comes in, shores up two of them, actually adds a little bit of electricity and excitement and really stabilizes those phases of the game. And it's a rare in a team game that you can say one player turns the tide on any phase of a game, but Patterson did on special teams. So he's my guy for best performance by role player. Okay, so as we've gone through this podcast, I've kept looking at this category and thought to myself, I hope I don't get picked. I hope I don't get picked. I hope I don't get picked. Because I took it very literally and said week 14's J.P. Holt's performance against the Cowboys. Mm. Uh because J.P. Holtz was such a no-name. In fact, he was signed in the middle of the season, and he actually provided adequate blocking from the tight end spot. Even played a little bit of fullback and then picked up, gosh, I think it was 65, 70 yards against the Cowboys and was one of the, weirdly enough, offensive leaders in that game. And J.P. Holtz is a guy that, look, we could pick Kevin Pierre-Lewis, Nick Kwiatkowski, Cordero Patterson, a lot of guys that I hadn't thought of as role players definitely were role players and they played very well but given Holtz's expectations and the way that the bottom fell out of the tight end group I don't feel bad nominating JP Holtz and I'll turn it over to JB so I was going to actually make kind of a goofy argument and so I want to just make it here um I was gonna say the the uniforms nice they were they were two and oh and they looked amazing. And Jack, our, our colleague, Jack Silverstein, wrote an incredible article that uh, I was fortunate enough to give him a little bit of help on uh, that actually made national broadcasts and, and, and got picked up nationally. And I think it was kind of amazing. And it brought a lot of awareness to a dark time of the NFL and the bears performed incredibly well wearing those uniforms. Uh, and so for me, I was going to make a goofy argument of the throwback unis getting an award. I'm going to go with the judge here. I love the JP Holtz thing. Just so you know, Robert, I actually had him penciled in as my number two for most surprising or, uh, actually most underrated or newcomer i mean pick a category because of that one game where he all of a sudden it was the jp holtz show which was really cool and i think he's got a role in the team going forward but i love your argument about the (laughs) i love your goofy argument about the the unis and i would gladly switch my vote i was not wild when they revealed them preseason i looked at them just sort of the players wearing them in the mock-ups and i thought uh not sure i really like those on the field i I I took a shine to him. Again, the Bears perform really well with him. That's a fun argument. Jack's article was amazing, super well-researched, incredibly brave journalism, I think, and, and that's something Jack's known for. So I'll absolutely go with the unis. I think that's a great one. Hey, if nothing else, literally any uniform looks better when your team just keeps winning in them, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the reason we love those other, what is it, the 85 throwbacks, the ones with the big, thick numbers? But oh, anyways... Man. 
Don't uh, get me started. I love those things. Those are great. <laughs> Such a great uniform. Now, now we sound like any Bears podcast. But anyways, yeah. let's move on to our next one. This is favorite play. Number generator says that Jeff, you are once again the judge. EJ, would you like to start? Sure. I picked, there were a lot of good plays sprinkled in. People might say, that's not true. Look, overall, the season was crap, but that didn't mean that individual players or combinations of players didn't step up on both sides of the ball. There are a lot of things to choose from here. The one that sticks with me, and again, this is just a personal category, was Trubisky to Robinson to set up the Broncos winning kick. That was a clutch play late in a game. It was not terribly pretty. If you're drawing that up as a coach, uh, trying to replicate it at whatever level you're coaching at, you wouldn't draw that play up. The result was, though, it was a huge gut check kind of moment against uh, a former Bears coach and Vic Fangio who'd taken over for the Broncos. It was early in the season. There was still some hope. The Bears were kind of clinging to it again. The Broncos didn't seem to really want to win it. And look, Trubisky and Robinson rose up and took that game. Pinero hit the kick. That It's a team game. And without that play, uh, the season turns off probably even earlier. So mm-hmm. did it mean a lot overall? It didn't. Did it mean a lot in that game? Look, the team was fighting for Nagy. They hadn't given up. They hadn't thrown in the towel. And Trubisky made a hell of a throw. Robinson made a great catch. Uh, he was covered. He was in traffic way down the field. And that's the one that sticks out in my mind as, hey, that was a that was guys getting it done. It wasn't pretty, but it was effective. And hey, I'll even add on to that because Robinson dives into his defender's leg to make absolutely certain that regardless of whether you call it him getting given up or not, he's down by contact. So that was that was just a really good play. It's a good argument. I tried to separate context, so I could have picked any of the Aaron Rodgers sacks from week one because that was just a dominant performance. By the end of the game, Rodgers was spiking the ball into the ground. He was so mad that this defensive line was just destroying his. But I ended up going with, and this is exactly who we have at quarterback, that he's able to produce just some fabulous plays to go with the rest of his quarterbacking resume. Week 15, Mitch takes the ball, rolls out right, curls up field, throws cross body to Anthony Miller about 29 yards downfield and puts the ball in his pocket. I mean, it was a gorgeous throw. It's the kind of stuff that you really do see these elite level quarterbacks getting known for. I've seen Rodgers do that all the time. I've seen Pat Mahomes do that pretty consistently. Russell Wilson. I mean, these mobile quarterbacks, that's what they do on the move. They make throws that make you go. Wow. And that was a wow throw. And I don't know why I kept coming back to it, but I really did. Because this is who we were hoping Mitch Trubisky would be able to make his norm. And at this point, I don't think he can. And I'll say that with some confidence. And hey, I'll be happy to be proven wrong. Because if we are, he'll get a lot better. But that was the throw that I kept looking back at, thinking to myself... There were a lot of really great plays. We could talk about David Montgomery's 55-yard scamper, the one time they finally gave him a decent hole. Uh, we could talk about... We could that talk was about my number of, two. Yeah, yeah I mean, Montgomery's longest run of the season was my number two. We could talk about defensive plays. Some of those Kyle Fuller breakups were fabulous. We could talk about Mack and a couple of those strip sacks. Case Keenum, uh, uh, well, gosh, Kirk Cousins, I don't know why I forgot his name, uh, comes to mind. But... That throw to to Miller, I think, was Mitch's best of the season. And I like watching pretty quarterback play. So sue me. Jeff, what do you think? All right. So um, let me just 
tell you the, some of the plays that I that stood stood out to me. Please the the Max strip sacks absolutely the haha Clinton Dix pick six against Washington, Kyle Fuller's interception against Washington, Kyle Fuller's interception against Denver, which was huge down by the goal line, oh, and Kyle man, Fuller's interception against play. yeah Kyle Fuller's interception against the Chargers. Okay. Um, one I want to mention, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get to your guys' stuff. Uh, oh, two, actually. One is Danny Trevathan's uh, deke rush, where yes. he turns away <laughs> like he's going to yep. drop back into coverage the and then rush. goes and gets. Yes, that was incredible. I love that play so much. Um, that was, that's a, that's a top three for me. And then I, you mentioned it earlier, actually, Robert, that. Kyle Fuller open field tackle on yep. tackle for loss on JD McKissick. It was third and one. It was 17 to 17, uh, 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. I wrote all this, the, the timestamp down. Play. And he, it was not just a, a t- tackle short of the line to gain, it was a, a tackle for loss and it forced him to kick a field goal. And it was open field. That should have been a touchdown or a minimum of first down. Fuller is aggressive, he hops up. Uh, past the line, you know, behind the line of scrimmage, uh, perfect uh, athletic form and makes an incredible tackle in the open field. I love that play. That was my, that was one I was going to make a case for. But picking between, since you both, both of you guys picked a Trubisky throw, I will pick between them. But it's EJ's answer. It's, it's uh, the throw to A Rob in the Denver game because you're right. Robinson makes an incredibly heady play, and then Trubisky makes a heady play by standing right next to the official and calling the timeout and getting that one second on the clock so that Pinheiro could come in and make that make that kick. And so not only was it a great athletic achievement, it was also incredibly smart uh, by multiple players to get down and to call that timeout. So I will and it led to literally led to a game winning kick. So I'll, I'll pick EJ's choice. I think it's a good pick. It's it's interesting. You bring up tons of great plays. There really are tons. And favorite play is a great way for it because originally I had this as best play, and there's a lot of good ones. I mean, there are plenty of plays on any NFL football field that are kind of perfect in terms of what they could be. And so picking a best is hard. I think you got a good pick there. That Denver throw, that Denver game, felt like the moment that the season might have gotten back on track. It obviously didn't. But without that play, we it every, the bottom falls out even faster. Let's now get to uh, the what is this fourth to last category? We got four more, and they're all great. Best game. I'm the judge. Jeff, let's start with you. Yeah. So um, pretty simple for me was week four. It's a sixteen to six win against the Vikings. The Vikings were really the only. Uh, legitimate team that the Bears took down this year. They improved to three and one. I, I know they were kind of limping a little bit, but uh, it really felt like, hey, they got they got out of that month three and one. That's that's what you want to see uh, out of every quarter of the season is is try to at least go three and one. Uh, the defense was still performing at an incredibly high level. The next week, of course, Hicks would get hurt and things would really go downhill. Uh, but for me, it was it was a win against a good team that ended up you know reaching the second round of the playoffs and the defense was uh shaping up to you know repeat as a dominant defense closing out september in in good fashion so for me it was it was week four against the vikings okay i also picked a divisional game but it wasn't that one it was the second lions game and you know i have to say i watched 
every play of every game this year. I didn't turn any of them off. Um, that's not a shot at you, JB. This, I, the reason I bring it up is this is the first time I have ever done that. I watched the Bears pole to pole every single play. And the second Lions game was one of the very few games this year where I absolutely had a great time. I celebrated throughout that game. I enjoyed it. I watched players play up to their potential. Uh, the Mitch switch got flipped and Mitch looked comfortable and exactly like everybody thought he would going into this season. And it was fun even for a day for an afternoon, just to be able to see that and see the team function on that level. The, the final score looks a lot closer than that game actually was. They, roundly thrashed the lions and as we know lions fans can be a bit cantankerous in the offseason and if we got anything going out of this season it was that the bears pounded the lions and did so in a form where they really looked like they were hitting on all cylinders and even in the vikings game you mentioned and some of the other games they won like the broncos games they were limping along they were trying to lose those games and they ended up sort of snatching victory from the jaws of defeat um, in the Lions game, they were in control. That game was smooth and confident, and they just mashed the other team. And it's fun to see your team do that. Okay, so as far as picking this, I've got to put in the one that I had come into this uh, podcast having picked, and it was Week Three's game against Washington, purely because I remember, and these are my favorite kinds of football games, to be honest, early season games where each side comes in thinking the other side is so bad that this is an elixir game. And one of them has to be wrong. And in this case, it was really great to see the Bears prove to be the better team. It was one of Matt Nagy's best games against a uh, Washington team that turned out to not have a very good defense. But with that in mind, he was scheming so well that play or both plays on the goal line, but especially the fake pick play sticks out as one of my favorite plays of the season. I can't believe I didn't remember that as far as favorite play goes. But if I had to pick between y'all's, I think I'm going to go with week four because it really did look like the team could build off of that. Chase Daniel comes in, quarterbacks his way to, what, 13 points. Mac forces a strip sack. Generally, they make Kirk Cousins, quote-unquote, look like Kirk Cousins. In fact, I'm willing to go on the record saying that that game was what turned the Vikings around, which, hey, at least that's some effect on the greater NFL landscape in that case. But... Of the of the games, because the Week 13 game against the Lions was awesome, we were also playing David Blau. So uh, I'll probably pick the Vikings, but it's close because that offense looked fun in Week uh, 13. Everybody okay with that? Totally cool. Yep. Perfect. Now we move into what everybody wants to hear about anyways, the MVPs, starting with the side of the ball that mattered the most and was frankly the most consistent, the defensive MVP. And the random number generator says, I am the judge. So how about we start with EJ this time? It's Hicks. It is flat out Akeem Hicks. And that got demonstrated in such brutal fashion this year. You go back, it's easy to forget with a long season that was disappointing what happened in the first month of the season when Hicks was healthy. The defense was on not just a great pace for the Bears. They were on a historic 
pace in terms of wrecking their opponents. And it really came down. We found out later after Hicks left that equation that it came down to the fact that you can't throw quite enough players at both Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack. And one of them is going to get free. And when you scheme them on the same side, oh my goodness, look out. I would not want to be the offensive coordinator that had to go against that. Two blue chip players who are absolutely dominating, doing their thing. And the Bears defense, despite all the offensive struggles, was incredibly fun to watch for that first month. Hicks gets hurt. He goes out. The defense kind of picks up. That's also when Roquan started to falter a little bit. Hicks comes back for a little bit. There's another little spark. And then he gets the injury that puts him out for the rest of the year. And the defense goes flat for the rest of the year. They played hard. Kyle Fuller still making plays. Butcher Screen still making plays. Mack goes largely silent. Now, is he still affecting games? Yes. But the stat sheet goes pretty much empty after Hicks leaves all those strip sacks disappear the sacks in general go way down is he still playing the run really hard is he still forcing pressures and quarterbacks to move yes he is um the the thing that really sealed it for me was tertiary players like roy robertson harris who looked like an all-star through the preseason and the first month of the season everybody's saying we're gonna lose that guy there's no way that guy's gonna sign a big money deal what did roy robertson harris do after akeem hicks went out and the answer is nothing Keem Hicks is the defensive MVP of this team far and away. So it's an interesting, so a couple things. One, EJ and I have talked about this on Bears Over Beers, where uh, I think it's Richard Dent had that, uh, that little Rule line of three. Where, rule yep. of three. You needed three pass rushers. And EJ and I have agreed that it's three or it's just Mac and Hicks. Because you can get away with just those two, right? They're both 1.5, so it's and three. So, right. And so if you if you take one of those guys away, the, you know, the defense is going to fall apart. And and if you don't have that pass rush, you're not going to get the turnovers either by the strip sacks or by quarterbacks forcing throws and, and, t- and turning it over. Of course, playing with a lead also leads to more turnovers. And we, we get all that too. But so it's an interesting argument because Hicks missing takes this defense from probably the best in the league. If not, uh, you know, because the, the Niners had a great year the, and the, the Patriots had a great year. So let's just say a top three unit to more like the eighth, ninth, tenth unit, something like that, right? So it's a huge loss to lose a guy like that. So it's an interesting argument to make from the perspective of losing this guy means that he, and, and showing that effect means that he's actually the defensive MVP. Now, if you want to turn it around and say, okay, but he missed most of the year and so he really didn't have you know a, a great year because he missed it with injury so that's kind of what i was thinking in that it, i love eddie jackson he's the third blue chip player on that defense he was playing out of position i think a lot and i think he struggled at times because of that and i think mac was able to get schemed out so much because hicks wasn't there and so for me i was going to make the argument that kyle fuller was the defensive MVP because he was steady. He made a lot of plays uh, on this defense that was still a top 10 unit. He, I think, made the most plays to contribute to that. And I think that he has just been incredibly good. I don't think he's a blue chip player. I think he's just a step below that, a red chip player, depending whatever terminology you like to use. But he backed up that first team all pro honor from 2018 with another Pro Bowl year. 
and he looked really good uh, doing it. And so for me, I, I wanted to make the case for Kyle Fuller to be the defensive MVP. Okay, so the only argument that I've heard against Kyle Fuller that I do believe supports your attitude that he's a red chip, not a blue chip, is that his yards per attempt against is actually pretty high. It's like nine yards, I believe. And that's all for uh, all per Jonathan Wood, who is the big stats guy around Bears Twitter, which surprised me because Kyle Fuller made a lot of big plays. But he also allowed a bunch due to whatever Pagano's scheme was in terms of having him, what, 15 yards off the ball sometimes? I mean, he was far back there. But of the choices, I think I've got to go with Hicks. Honorable mention, maybe not MVP, but a really good performance was Eddie Jackson, who, according to Seth Walder at ESPN, was the lowest in the NFL completion percentage over expectation and completed air yards over expectation per target. And as I'm sure anybody who watched all 22 could tell you, teams just didn't throw at him. It was almost the Revis treatment. And I'm not about to say that Eddie Jackson is Darrell Revis, but I remember very specific plays where wherever Eddie Jackson was, Kirk Cousins would look somewhere else. As soon as Eddie Jackson just entered the area, it was like, okay, not there. And that's important. But I think I have to go with Hicks because, like he's just saying, the defense took such a step backwards in terms of pass rush. It kind of showed that Roy Robertson Harris, Nick Williams, Leonard Floyd, and Khalil Mack just isn't enough. And not to mention, we all know how what a force Akeem Hicks is against the run. I mean, that speaks for itself, right? Uh, when you've got Eddie ja- or Eddie Goldman, too many Eddies, uh, Eddie Goldman and never Akeem Hicks. enough, not Eddies. enough Eddies. They're both really good. <laughs> never enough Eddies. You're right. They're all good. Uh, but so when you've got Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks up front, they're able to do so much damage against the run in in that old school Vic Fangio uh, nickel look and. I think it's got to be Hicks, though it's weird giving it to a guy who got hurt and therefore had such a big impact. But it's I think it's the right choice. Let's move on now to offensive MVP. And number generator says that it's EJ the judge. Jeff, would you like to go first here? Sure. Alan Robinson. What about you, Robert? Alan Robinson. What about you, <laughs> ding, EJ? Ding, ding. We are sold. Alan Robinson for 100. Let's move along. I was going to say, does anybody want to spiel or does it so speak for itself? No, that's unanimous. Alan Robinson, he did a great job. He's worthy of that extension. If you're listening to this, Ryan, lock him up. Um, Keep him a bear. He wants to be there. He's productive. Seems like a great team guy. No reason to let that guy get out of town. He's the kind of guy that is a steal of a signing, if only because there were enough risks in him coming back from his surgery that he hit the market at all. And suddenly you're able to just swipe a player that's that good. And yeah, you got to pay him pretty big money, but gosh, he's worth it. I will uh, just say this, and and this is me patting myself on the back, so you can cut this out in post if you want. But he, I watched that game where uh, where he hurt his uh, ACL week one. He had one catch, went down, hurt his hurt his ACL, and I was like, oh my, he just tore his ACL. He's going to be a free agent. They're going to let him walk because they you know, why tie it up? The Bears going to go get him. And I was on it from week 1 where I was like Allen Robinson to and I kept getting they're never going to let him go. They're never going to sign him and I just kept on it and this was like one of the few times that I've actually called something like called my shot, you know, pointed to left field and hit it out of the park. So very excited. This is my guy. That in is- other words. 
that is awesome. And I'll keep what I'm about to say in post too. You've got me at the point where if I'm going to get you a late Christmas present, it's going to be an Allen Robinson. No, I can't remember his number. It was 12. Obviously, duh. Uh, an Allen Robinson 12 jersey with a custom name on the back that says "I called it" in your size. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so anybody else can can see it. Uh, let's move on to our final award of the evening, the big one, the most valuable bear. And it looks like Jeff is to, uh, tonight's judge. So, EJ, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, I'm going to use an exceptionally odd and obscure metric to determine this. It is number of jerseys we saw at training camp. Uh-huh. And uh, JB pointed this out to me first, but it became overwhelmingly clear before we ever even entered uh, training camp on the first day. There's a very long line. We were lucky enough to meet George McCaskey that morning, Uh, but we were just kind of walking up and down the line looking at the jerseys and it was running pretty much two to one Khalil Mack. Like for every two Khalil Mack jerseys you saw, there was one other jersey of any other type. It wasn't him versus another player. It was him versus every other player from Bears history. Uh, Khalil Mack is the face of this franchise. We tend to forget, um, maybe we don't, but we sort of tend to forget uh, what an impact it was when it, again, um, a little bit like you said about Allen Robinson, oh, they'll never let him go. That'll never happen. When it suddenly became clear that he was available and he was coming to Chicago, that's a franchise-changing moment, and it hasn't really let up. He hasn't really done anything to disappoint. He's done plenty of things to excite and engage the fan base, and uh, you know, I look forward to this guy who we have said multiple times on Bears Over Beers, this is watching a Hall of Fame career unfold in front of you and should be sort of cherished and held in that regard. So Khalil Mack, face of the franchise. We completely agree. I mean, not only could I talk about jersey sales in general, because you're absolutely right. You bring up a great point. I remember that at training camp. It's just a sea of number 52. And whenever he touched the field in training camp, everybody lit up. The fans were going wild. He was the guy on every broadcast picture. Usually you have the quarterback, not the Bears. We had Khalil Mack. And he didn't have as productive a season as he could have, or certainly as he did in 2018. But I do want to throw another obscure metric at you. You've got jersey sales. I've got ESPN's sacks created metric, which to just read off exactly what it is, is a sack, it credits the sack to the player with the first pass rush win instead of the player who actually tackles the quarterback. And off the top of my head, I believe Mac had eight sacks, but let me just read off this leaderboard and we'll we'll catch where it is. Zadarius Smith had 20, Danielle Hunter had 18, Cameron Jordan had 17, Shaq Barrett, amazing year, had 17, and Khalil Mack's there at number five in the league with 16. And maybe that's not what you want out of your huge player, but it does suggest Khalil Mack won a lot more pass rushes than people saw. And he created a lot more sacks than was obvious, especially on a team where for the large majority of the year, he was double and triple teamed. You saw the old school LeBron treatment of everybody block him, just him, though. Like, we're fine on everywhere else. Khalil Mack did not have as productive a season as plenty would want, but there are plenty of metrics and eyeballs suggesting he will rebound quite nicely if the Bears support him pretty much at all. Not to mention he carries the Bears on his shoulders right now. 
and until the Bears find somebody else to do it, he will remain the most valuable Bear. JB, what do you think? Yeah, I got a couple stories. It's obviously Mac. I got a couple additional <laughs> additional points here. Uh, you know, one of the things that we talked about a lot is other teams scheming him out, and they were able to do that once Hicks was hurt, and you saw it with quick passes. So getting rid of it before he can get home or literally rolling the pocket away from him. And you saw it a lot. And so to if you're watching this game as a Bears fan and you're complaining that he's not impacting the game, then I would say that you're just simply not seeing the game correctly. Uh, he absolutely is impacting the game just by being on the field because they, the, they being the opponent, are completely... Uh, basing their offensive approach around trying to avoid getting beat by number 52. Okay, so that's one thing. Second thing, uh, the Chicago Bears, for their 100th anniversary, came out with bobbleheads. I have them all. Uh, EJ likes to make fun of me about it. Uh, They made one for every home game to uh, one per decade. Okay, and then they gave their season ticket holders the founder, George Hallis, and Khalil Mack, who represents the future that's what that that's what the season ticket holders were get, got i i had to buy it off of ebay i had bought them all off of ebay but i uh, had to buy that off of ebay from a season ticket holder that put them up for sale uh in this really nice collectible tin and so here you have khalil mack who's right next to uh george hallis in this collectible uh bears memorabilia the bears know what they have in Khalil Mack. If you're a fan and you don't know what we have in Khalil Mack, shame on you and figure it out. Um, don't complain about him. He's everything you want in a player. And I will say when we were at camp, my last story, I saw that Mack was walking down the rope line, giving autographs. And I don't really need an autograph. I don't, I wasn't wearing a Mac Jersey. I was wearing a Kyle long Jersey who never came over uh, uh, to, to sign jerseys, but whatever. And I'm like, I'm just going to go. I want to go stand near him. I want to just see what this guy looks like up close. And he was a block of granite. But as he got closer to me, this mass of humanity just kept pushing up against me, uh, up against the fence. And there was this woman, I can still hear this woman yelling, Mac, sign the baby, sign the baby, Mac. And she's holding her <laughs> infant child over the fence for Khalil Mac to sign this, this sm- small child. That's the level of excitement this fan base has around him. He is definitively the face of the franchise. It's an easy award to give. I mean, it's exactly what you want out of somebody that you're going to pay, what, $24 million a year. He's earning the money. If um, We obviously want to see a better season, not necessarily from him, but just from the team. We want to see those numbers work out. But at the end of the day, he is the Bears. And everything you guys are saying all lines up. I mean, he's the face of the franchise. And that's our Staley's. I'm pretty happy with the awards that we've given out. But do, uh, one thing that I did want to end on is, it's not a Staley, but it's just a final question. If you were going to make one max two, because I know we've all got plenty of moves we want to make, to change the Bears' hopes in 2020, what would you make? And assuming that something happens, I mean, anything realistic, how do you think the team's going to be in 2020? Ooh, who wants to take that one first? JB, you want to cue that up? Uh, I mean, I, I think they have to make a move at quarterback, and I think they have to they have to find a number one tight end. I think 
Trey Burton can come back and play that number two or whatever you call it, the, that second tight end role. Um, but I do think that they need to go out and find someone either in free agency, maybe unlock OJ Howard in a trade uh, or use one of their second round picks to take one of those number one uh, tight ends because that tight end is so important in that offense. And I think you saw it with Kansas city and Travis Kelsey and how important he is to that offense. I think you've seen it with the Eagles and how important Zach Ertz is to that offense. Uh, obviously the, the Niners use a, a very different offense, but George Kittle is very important. I really think that position is incredibly important to, to attack and you absolutely have to at a bare minimum bring legitimate competition in for Mitchell Trubisky because if he has the kind of year that he had in 2019, this team's going to disappoint again. You have to be able to go to somebody who's more capable than Chase Daniel, and I think that that's at a bare minimum. It has uh-huh. to be someone like Andy Dalton or Marcus Mariota, who I know didn't succeed in Tennessee, but it has to be someone at least that level to bring in. I'll go next. Uh, it's a bit of a strange choice, but if you put a gun to my head and said, you have to pick one need for the Bears right now, is it tight end or is it right guard? Because I'm pushing quarterbacks to the side. I pick right guard, and it's a weird choice, but again, every time I watch the Bears running game, like I try not to personally hate players. I really do my best, especially players uh, put in bad positions. I really try to criticize players without an emotional impact. I know plenty will say, you hate Mitch Trubisky. Uh, Look, I just do what what I can to relay what I'm seeing. But, oh, my goodness, the hole that we had at right guard with Rashad Coward was so massive and got worse and worse and worse throughout the year. I mean, you saw it as soon as they put Ted Larson in in Kansas City. And Ted Larson's not a great lineman. The running game suddenly popped off, I think, three eight to ten yard runs immediately. The Bears, if they can pick up a good right guard, I'm thinking like a Kyle Long level right guard, which is a lot. And I'm not trying to suggest it isn't. But if they're able to pick up somebody capable, I'm legitimately excited to see what this running game can do. Because David Montgomery, again, as I watch all the tape, is the right back. He makes a lot of sense. And he had a tough rookie season himself, especially in the open field. I think he misread a lot of situations, but that's what you want to see in rookies, that they're making those mental mistakes so that they can take the tape and get better at it as they go. If the Bears could add a lineman, obviously they need a tight end. I'm not suggesting they don't add a tight end, but I want to see a good right guard brought in. That's what I want anyways. And if they do, this Bears running game, quarterback be darned, should, at, should produce a lot better and that should make the whole offense go. At least that's where I'm at. EJ, what do you think? Yeah, I really think they need to do all three on offense. I think defense is largely all right. Um, if HaHa leaves, then they've got to they've got to fill a hole. Strong safety, which is not a, a hole that's impossible to fill. Um, it's great to have a great player there, but you don't need one on offense. You really need options at quarterback. I think two. You really need options at tight end. I think one, and it's probably going to be upper level, whether that comes from free agency or the draft. And at right guard, I think you probably need to double dip as well, but I don't think you need to get it up high. You don't need to sign a 
certainly a first-tier free agent. You could go for a second or even a third-tier free agent. History says that those guys produce at very similar levels, oftentimes if you get the right fit for your system. Same thing in the draft. You don't need to spend a second-round pick on a guard. I realize uh, a lot of folks like you looked at the right guard position and says, that's our top need, got to be the first pick we spend. Not true. Guys that come from the third, the fourth, the fifth rounds have very successful and long careers. And I think there are going to be some guys in the draft that year. So I think you get this year. So you get two options at right guard, hopefully a decent free agent signing to stabilize and somebody you can develop as an interior offensive lineman. At tight end, you really do need a sort of lead dog. If Burton's not going to come back healthy and be the player he was, I've given up on Shaheen completely. You need that option, whether it's a guy like Bryson Hopkins or, uh, you know, some of the other top tight ends in the draft, or you go out and you get you gamble on somebody like Hunter Henry, who's incredibly productive um, when he is healthy, which is the the if there. My favorite would be O.J. Howard, but you've got to pry him loose from Tampa Bay. I think it's possible. Um, I don't know that they do it, but that would make me sort of do backflips if I was capable. I don't want to try that because I'll break my neck. But I think all three of those things need to work in concert you need a good mid-level starter who's capable and can hit the throws doesn't need to be a superstar isn't going to be a superstar let's put it that way you need a very solid option or two at right guard and you need somebody to make the middle of that offense work in tight end and if you do uh, you're gonna see how good the bears were supposed to be this year that's something that you hit on that i just have to chime back in uh with the part of the reason that I think the Bears right guard sticks out so much to me is because it should theoretically be the easiest to actually add to the offense. JB, I'm just like you. I would die to see the Bears add a Travis Kelsey level tight end, but there's two of them in the NFL based on what I've seen. There's Kelsey and Ertz. I'm talking specifically that player composition. Obviously, George Kittle is just an animal man, but if the Bears could add one of those tight ends, I would also do backflips. I would I would love to see somebody like O.J. Howard added. But at the minimum, let's get like a decent, good right guard in because it should be doable, right? You should be able to find somebody. You don't need a Brandon Scherf. Like you can you can do just fine without that level of resource management. And I, gosh, I just think it wouldn't unlock the offense, but it would at least put them back on average, just that one addition. But hey, we'll see how it goes. There's obviously a lot of stuff to be played. Any final thoughts, guys? Yeah, I have one. And it's a question for you guys, since you spent so much time on offensive line most recently. JB, I know you spent a lot of time on it anyways. Did you know that Dominic Raiola was on the Bears staff? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> yeah, he is. So Dominic Raiola, longtime Lions lineman. Right is on the Bears staff as like an offensive quality control assistant or a second offensive line uh, helper. Basically, when I was looking through for best coach, I was scrolling down. I was like, hey, wait a minute. That's that's Dominic Raiola, right? Um, anyways, that's my fun Bears line fact for the day of, of coaches. I didn't know her on the staff. And I believe uh, Dave Tube's kid is also on the staff, Shane Tube. And I think that's a Kansas City connection with Matt Nagy. He's I like an offensive, to, offensive quality control assistant. I just had to <laughs> Google Dominic Riola to to even find out who he was. So well, there you that go. tells you all I needed. That's all right. So it's a couple says, of uh, interesting stashes on on the Bears coaching staff there. Uh, Dave Tubeson and Dominic Riola. It's actually Donovan Riola. Oh, is it? 
Yeah. Oh, maybe it's his brother. That it didn't kind of look like him, but I thought I was just so uh, I was just so taken by the last name. Thank you for yeah. the correction. Well, and close, but uh, no, it's uh, it's it's Don. Maybe I just saw D. Riola and went. No, nope, yeah, that's him. No, that's, yeah. that's anyway, it's true. Uh, sorry, I had to pull it up because no, I, it's good. It's good. Better. To yeah, be no, right and, than... and and Robert, to go back to your point, um, I think that we're all in agreement. That those are all positions that need to be held, and I and obviously. I don't think that um, it's it's easy to say that you know Travis Kelsey's out there, but even your point of JP Holtz coming in and providing some juice on that t- number one tight end, this offensive scheme really does op- uh, create a lot of opportunities for that position. And so, getting someone who's at least a mid-level tight end who can take advantage of that can open up the offense a lot. You don't necessarily need an all-pro; uh, it's just someone who can soak up a lot of those targets and uh, produce at a, at a high level because of the offensive scheme. And if you don't believe it, just go watch 2018's Trey Burton because he produced. I mean, he did do a lot for that. But at some point, we've got to close up shop on an hour and a half podcast. This has been an awesome show, guys. I'm excited about the Staley's that we handed out. Awesome Saturday afternoon. Surprise. That's when we're recording this. And it's just been a blast having you on. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having us, Robert. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. It's a great opportunity to look back with some positivity on what wasn't necessarily a great season, so hopefully it leaves uh, at least a few Bears fans with a better taste in their mouth. And it's so funny because, like you're saying, uh, yeah, it was a disappointing season. No, it's not fun to look back on, but at the end of the day, it was a Bears season, and that's it's not what we live for, but it's something that we follow closely, and it's always fun to get done with it and now we can move on to the next part where we head to the off season we say how can we fix it we've still got this core let's see what the let's see what ryan pace can do and folks that wraps up the staley's like i said on the show i'm happy with the awards that we gave out and almost more importantly i'm very excited to wave goodbye to a troublesome 2019 season and move into this 2020 off season as well as the prep work that will come from studying the tape figuring out different ways the Bears can improve, and of course, getting to know the new Bears that are bound to come through both free agency and the draft. I couldn't be more thankful to Jeff and EJ for jumping on and helping me hand these awards out. I'm so happy with the job that they did. Make sure you follow them on Twitter at GridironBorn, spelled like it sounds, and the Draftsman FB. that's Jeff and EJ's Twitter respectively. And if you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me at Robert K. Schmitz, that's R. O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. I'm so excited for this offseason, but that wraps up this show. So until next time, bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me.